0: This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor.
1: And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Thursday the 12th of November.
0: So Norman, yesterday we were talking about exciting news, asterisk, conditions apply about a vaccine from Pfizer, which is great. And the other news that we've been getting over the last week or so is that there are very, very low case numbers in Australia and hardly any community transmission happening anymore, which is great. So when we do, if slash when we do get a vaccine for coronavirus that's proved safe and effective, we know that we're only probably going to get a relatively small supply at first, probably not enough to vaccinate a huge number of Australians. So if we do have such low levels of the virus in australia what benefit is there in vaccinating a relatively small number of people
1: well there's actually a risk in va- vaccinating a relatively small number of people because there's a theoretical problem that the virus which is mutating all the time that you might preserve a mutation of the virus that circles round the vaccine to uh, survive the vaccine and therefore vaccines become relatively ineffective although the vaccine platforms that are being developed like mrna technology which is the pfizer vaccine and also the moderna one which we haven't spoken about for a while they can pivot quite quickly to a new form of the virus so that's that's one thing so you can immunize people in healthcare settings just in case there's another outbreak You can offer immunisation to people who really do need to travel overseas if you start getting things like digital vaccine passports rolling out. But the strategy has to be, within a fairly short period of time, to immunise a very high percentage of Australians. And you say, well, the question then is, why would you bother? We've got very little infection in Australia. What are we actually immunising against? Particularly if... The vaccines are only protecting against COVID-19 disease and not infection. If you get a measles immunisation or a polio immunisation, it actually prevents infection. And so if you get 80% of, 95% of children in the first year of life immunised against those diseases then you actually get what's called you drink what's called truly you get what's called herd immunity and so you drive the level of that virus down to very low levels in the community so the people who are not immunized are protected by the people who are because you've got low levels of the virus if you continue to get COVID 19 infection with these vaccines then it's still circulating and therefore herd immunity does not necessarily apply so that's one of the unknowns In terms of these vaccines, do they prevent infection? And we don't know that yet. That certainly, with the Pfizer vaccine announcement, it looks as though they're pretty good. They're going to be pretty good at preventing COVID nineteen disease.
0: When will we know that? When will we know whether they protect against infection and not just symptoms?
1: I suppose it depends on the study that they've done and whether they've been regularly testing for infection as well as COVID-19. So have they regularly been swabbing people? Are they doing antibody studies on their group of people before and after? There's lots of different ways they can do that. And I'm not sure, I don't know enough about the way the trials are designed to know whether or not the protocols include some of that. I assume that they do, uh, or at least some of them do. So then let's line up what the reasons are for being immunised. One is that it allows us to relax on social distancing, in theory. But does it? Because let's do the maths. If it's 90% effective at reducing COVID-19 disease, going on the Pfizer example, and 80% of Australians get the immunisation, then only 70% of Australians are actually covered, which leaves you 30% of Australians still susceptible to COVID-19 disease and a virus potentially circulating in 100% of Australians because we've not, we're not preventing infection. So what have we done? Well, we've done, we've made, it's a good public health measure, meaning that we don't need to fear the virus if you've been immunised, but it still means that 30 or 40% of the population are susceptible to COVID-19. And that's a lot of people. And there could still be a lot of circulating virus if we relax social distancing, even after immunisation. I mean, here's the, this is a real issue. Then the question is, do, does, a, does a vaccine that only protects against COVID-19 allow you to recommence international travel? if 30 or 40% of Australians are still susceptible to COVID-19 because the virus will circulate.
0: It is fascinating because, like you said before, usually when we're vaccinating, we're protecting the people around us and the protection to ourselves is almost a beneficial side effect. Whereas really, if, and it is a big if, these vaccines only protect against disease, really the only person that benefits from the vaccination is you who've been vaccinated.
1: Correct. And it's a bit like a treatment in a sense. In the theory, will still be okay because we've driven the vaccine down to very low levels. But what we need to be able to do is open us back up to the world because our tourism industry, business, other things, seeing family, we want to open up to the world. But the vaccine might not allow us to do that under the current technology unless we're prepared to accept that risk to 30 or 40% of the population. Or maybe that we make sure that a hundred percent of, uh, near to it of sixty-five year olds and over are immunised, and we really push hard for a hundred percent cover, you know, as near to a hundred percent coverage as we can get. But you're not going to get there because the best we get is infants in the first year of life, ninety-five percent, and then immunisation rates fall away after that. I expect the best we can do is about eighty percent in Australia with a COVID-19 vaccine, although the rate of immunization of influenza in 65-year-olds and plus is well over 70%. Um, And it's even 50% in susceptible people in the middle years. Children are a bit low, actually, with influenza. So if you take influenza as an example, you could expect 70 or 80%. Point being, what does it protect us against?
0: Well, as we said at the beginning, the supply is is going to be part of the issue there. But I suppose this really reinforces the fact that the people who are most vulnerable to severe disease are going to need to be the ones that have access to the vaccine first.
1: Yes, and then you could get a passport which allows you to travel, and insurers will know your travel insurers will say, well, if you've been covered, we'll cover you, Um, but if you've not been immunised, we won't cover you because you're liable to get COVID nineteen disease. So there's lots of opportunities that open up, but it's not, it doesn't mean the end of the pandemic unless we get a vaccine that prevents infection.
0: So speaking of people who are able to transmit the virus, even though perhaps they're not sick, we're getting a lot of questions about people shedding the virus because we've had cases popping up, especially in Victoria, where it seems like perhaps that person had COVID in the past and has recovered, but they're still shedding fragments of the virus. And Ian's asking, what is viral shedding and is a shedder a spreader?
1: Well, a shedder, you've got to shed to spread if I, I wouldn't say that too quickly or after a glass of wine, but you've got to shed to spread. That's how you spread by shedding, because you you give up your virus very you know generously to somebody else, and then they shed shed, sh- shed somebody else. Oh, <laughs> but, but you get my point for that being too tongue twisting. I'm not going to go over that again. So shedding is part of spreading. You, you, you produce the virus, it comes out into your mouth and nose and you sneeze or cough or, you're, or you aerosolize and it goes a long distance. That's how you spread it. When people talk about viral shedding in this context, it's that, and we've spoken about this several times over the last few months with coronavirus, some of the research comes from China, is that some people can be detected positive for quite a long period of time, sometimes up to six weeks after the initial infection. And what's not known, but it, what's suspected, is that after a few days, even though you're shedding, you're not infectious. So you're producing, as you I think you just said, Tegan, you're producing fragments of the virus, but they're not necessarily live and infectious versions of the virus. They're kind of neutralized versions of the virus. And so it's unlikely that somebody stays infectious for six weeks although that is possible and could explain why you get this virus going underground, going into asymptomatic populations and then popping up again. And you've got this person who's turned up in South Australia, positive, having been in Melbourne and feels like a mystery, but it could be that they've had low levels of the virus and they're shedding and it's so far into the infection time that they're unlikely to be infectious. But it's a real conundrum when you pick up somebody like that the extent to which you isolate them
0: and that's perhaps where when these viral fragments turn up in wastewater it perhaps is is non-infectious shedding?
1: It's an open question whether or not what you're picking up in the wastewater, and we'll find out this tomorrow by the way, when in tomorrow's Coronacast, when we bring on an expert in sewage analysis of COVID and you can send in your questions to the Coronacast website that's abc.net.au slash Coronacast and ask your question and ask your questions about sewage and we'll find out about that but those are I think viral fragments which have been there for a while and are unlikely to be infectious which is a very different question whether A fart or a poo is infectious when you've got fresh virus in your body.
0: Oh gosh, you just had to slide that in, didn't you?
1: I did, I did. And if you remember what Ryan McIntyre said on Coronacast a couple of weeks ago, put down the lid when you're flushing.
0: Close your lid and wash your hands. Yep. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today.
1: If you want to ask a question, particularly about sewage for tomorrow's programmes, As I said, go to our website, abc.net.au slash Coronacast. Click ask a question and mention Coronacast on the way through.
0: You can also leave us a comment if you like. And as always, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. We'll see you tomorrow. See you then.